there and welcome to Rising. I'm your host, Nista Dubay. In Rising, we discuss connecting to your power, navigating life using your intuition, and making a mark on this world. Join me in today's episodes and our journeys towards fulfillment as we rise together. Hi everyone, welcome back to Rising. I am so excited today to have Parth Shaw on our show. He is a brand marketing associate at the Wall Street Journal and the co-host of the Youth Movement podcast. So Parth, welcome to Rising. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the show today. Hey Nista, thanks for having me. It's great to be here and chat. I'm excited to chat with you. Awesome. Yeah. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Just tell us a little bit about you, what you're doing and, and your background. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you said, I am a brand marketing associate at the Wall Street Journal. Um, I have been working there for a little over a year now. I graduated from Northeastern University in Boston in 2019. Uh, I studied marketing and business analytics there. Um, prior to that, I grew up my entire life on Long Island in New York. Um, so Northeast kid through and through. Um, mm-hmm. And then I started at the Wall Street Journal and I met a wonderful coworker named John who we became fast friends and we decided to start a podcast. So our podcast is called Youth Movement and we interview and talk with other young professionals and this that was on it. Um, and we pretty much talk about different ways young professionals can set themselves up for success. So um, similar to what you, you do here. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. And yeah, I we actually connected for people tuning in right now through um, the Youth Movement podcast. So super cool how we met that way. And now, I mean, a month later, we're able to have you on. So I wanted to transition a little bit into, you know, kind of your childhood. And you talked about, you know, how you were born and raised in Long Island. So um, when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, we just talked about how that experience was in terms of actually like navigating and finding your cultural identity, um, you know, in terms of demographics. So just tell us a little bit about that. And you know, what some obstacles or experiences you navigated through um, that really allowed you to further connect to your roots? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in a town on the eastern end of Long Island that is predominantly white, Caucasian, um, little in the way of diversity. So with that, growing up in that environment, whether it be elementary school, all the way through high school, all my friends for the most part were white all my friends kind of had similar backgrounds and cultures and made the same food and said the same things and had Mm -hmm. similar family um, traditions and things Um, so it was a very hard to kind of be an Indian person in that community at the time growing up and seeing different things that people do and you're like mom dad why don't we do things that way Um, so so it's interesting because I love my hometown and I'm grateful for the experiences I've had there and the people I've met. Um, And I think being someone who was one of the only brown people in town, I look at it as a, as a positive to my development in certain ways, because it forced me to not only like grow to accept my own culture, but also like learn about other ones, how to, at the same time blend in, but also at the same time stand out um, Mm -hmm. and also just be comfortable being a minority, um, which which are all things that 
as you go to college, you enter the workforce that are relevant things that you'll have to kind of address and deal with as you go on to either it could be a diverse team or it could be a a team that everyone kind of looks the same. So um, Mm -hmm. those kind of experiences prepare you for that. And I truthfully, I, I fought a lot with my culture and everything Mm -hmm. when I was growing up. I always want to eat pasta and mac and cheese and things and never really wanted my mom to make any Indian food. Um, Mm -hmm. I always wanted to kind of be, be that person that I saw in all my friends. Um, but as I've gotten older, I will say I've come to appreciate more all of the amazing things that come with your own culture, including like, like the special family traditions, um, that people see you and now all over social media and they've, they've been kind of adopted by um people of all cultures Mm -hmm. people see it's like the modernization of like indian culture and people are really taking to it which is pretty incredible to see um Mm -hmm. and i I think it was just something that took a lot of um practice in feeling comfortable and addressing that i was uncomfortable with certain things i wanted to be comfortable in my own skin as you say and also I think going to college helps with that when you're surrounded by a hugely diverse student population and you're meeting people from all across not only the country, but the globe, different religions. And I think that was super eye-opening for me and um, def- definitely made me feel more comfortable with who I am. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I can completely relate to you, you know, in, in growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood or school at least. Um, you know, my elementary school was predominantly Caucasian as well. So I remember like, you know, walking into the cafeteria and my mom would pack me like rice and rajma or whatever. And I would, you know, feel a little bit like embarrassed about opening that up in front of my friends who were eating like PB and J's and like carrots. And it was one of those things that I had to get accustomed to over time as well. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's part of the challenge of, you know, growing up in, in America as a first generation Indian American is, really navigating that balance and finding what feels right to you. And I think for us to, you know, as, as eight or nine year olds feel excluded in, in the school cafeteria, that is a very formative experience because we're so young at that point that we don't really know any better. And then, you know, this whole idea of appreciating your culture is something that really kicks in as you grow up later on. So I've definitely, you know, been through the same experience as well. I know a lot of friends who've had similar stories in terms of, um, you know, embracing their their culture and their roots and even getting to a point where they're they're sharing that with others. So that's incredible that you found that. And I know you did touch on college and being able to, you know, be exposed to a more wide, wide range of people, wider student population. So um, you did tell me a little bit about how you were able to find that stronger, close net knit sense of community in your fraternity. So um, tell us about what that experience was like overall. Yeah, so um, just a little bit about college really quickly. And it kind of goes to my philosophy in how I pick opportunities and things I want to be a part of is I want to be a part of things that are always striving to be better like not satisfied Mm -hmm. with the status quo not content with where they are what they're doing I just want to be a part of something that's going towards just being a better version of itself Um, Mm -hmm. and actually was listening to a really good podcast today 
um, Business Casual by Morning Brew, and they had the CEO of Netflix on there, the co-founder, uh, Reed Hastings, mm-hmm. and he said something similar, actually. He's like, as Netflix got bigger, they their their mission was not only to get bigger, to get bigger and better. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, they didn't worry about being the best, but as they incrementally kept going, they, they never were never satisfied with where they were. And as they grew, they wanted to make sure they were always looking to improve the, the little things like culture and things. So sure. with that be, with that being said, I, I take that mentality with a lot of things like how I pick jobs, how I pick organizations I represent, how I pick Northeastern because it was a school that was on the rise. Always con- like willing to like get students um, the next opportunity and try and grow them as a person, mm-hmm. uh, both personally and professionally. And the idea of doing internships, these six month co-ops during school um, and like growing yourself while you're in college was super attractive. So mm-hmm. looking at college, I joined a fraternity Delta Tau Delta and I joined this organization. It was fairly new on campuses within its first couple of years. Um, it had just been created, gotten its charter. Um, and it was super interesting because I never really thought of myself as someone who would join a fraternity. You hear the stereotypes, you hear mm-hmm. kind of how it's portrayed in movies and TV shows and on social media and whatnot. Um, but I had a couple friends who I made my fall semester freshman year who I trusted and like I really had good experiences getting to know through class. Um, and they seemed like really good guys. And I was like, okay, like they're, they're good. And they wanted me to come out and try it out. So I did. Um, mm-hmm. And the values really aligned with kind of what I wanted. And the big thing with it was, is as a fraternity chapter at Northeastern, because it was so new, you could shape and mold its entire future, like its present and its future. Mm-hmm. You could create an identity for this fraternity on campus, make a name for itself, become a force for good, and also kind of break stereotypes, kind of create a new image of what a modern fraternity can do for not only your personal development and your social development, but also community and campus uplift um, and helping other organizations and things. So that's why I joined and right away, like I was able to get involved. I was, I served on the e-board for a year. Um, We went to nationals, like one number one chapter on campus and number one chapter in the nation um, during my time there. So it was just really amazing to kind of see the progress we were able to make in just a couple of years. And not only that, like I made some incredible friends and people who are super driven and smart and are going to be successful if they're not already. Um, and also people who are genuinely caring, they care about the well-being of others and society as a whole. That's incredible. And I think that really speaks a lot to your values as a person as well. And I know when you're sharing that story, you also touched a little bit on, um, you know, internships that you've had in the past and, um, kind of the idea of breaking stereotypes, which really translates well into what you're doing today at Wall Street Journal and sort of your intentions for, um, you know, choosing that that company to work full time at as well. And I know that right now you use you marketing and branding. So I wanted to transition a little bit into your passion for writing and, you know, just have you walk us through through what really sparked your interest in it. Um, how early on did you start pursuing writing as something more than just a hobby? Yeah, so 
Um, I've always been someone who loves a good book. I think when I was younger, um, I would always like do those summer reading challenges from the library and like you had your reading logs and whatnot in elementary school, middle school. And I always just enjoyed those. And I'd always like do like double or triple whatever. Um, we'd always like go to the library. My mom would take me like check out things and cycle through books super quickly. Um, something about just the way you could just like immerse yourself in a whole different world and through writing paint such a vivid picture that really brings you somewhere else for out of your current reality um, is mm -hmm. what first got me into reading. And I mean, I love the Harry Potter books. I'm like, those are still some of my favorite books and movies kind of as a, as a scene, as a culture. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously as I've gotten older, also like dabbled into like nonfiction and um, like business and self-help books and stuff. But my, my, my dad actually, he's an allergist and, when I was younger, he published his own couple books. He has these books for children um, on asthma and allergies and just like how kids at that age can relate to having mm -hmm. allergies and asthma. Because sure. like it's something that's like not necessarily like super big and like it's well known, but like I think in recent years it's definitely like increased in its awareness. Yeah. But kids at that age really don't understand all of it and this was like a children's book to really help them identify with the current situation of a little boy or girl going to the doctor and like all the things they do in their life and it was really cool because he was able to self-publish that and it turned out really awesome and he knew that I always wanted to write something like when I was a kid I would take construction paper and loose leaf paper and like doodle things and use glue mm -hmm. sticks and crayons and boom smack them together fold it up and hey look it's a book um yeah. and I, I like I always kind of had that inkling and desire in myself um and then when he was able to do that he kind of had the tools already set up for me to do something similar and mm -hmm. in high school I found myself like helping a lot of my friends with a lot of the same or similar kind of problems and questions that they had um related to just like life in general relationships being motivated to um like do well in school like strive and like try and go for a reach school when you're applying mm -hmm. all those like different things that come in a high school environment yeah. um I found myself trying to the underlying thing was that people weren't motivated people didn't know what they wanted and how to go after it and what really made them passionate and got them excited so mm -hmm. that was kind of the underlying need that I identified and then wanted to put together in terms of this book it's very much a like a journal where you write your own thoughts there's prompts at the top whether it's a quote or um, something to like get you in the right headspace to start working towards a goal and mm -hmm. I, I guess I was ahead on the trend of like self journaling um, <laughs> books back then but I mm -hmm. ended up coming out with this like self-help journal guide called motivation a high school student's guide to success um and it was really cool because sent that file over and then whenever someone ordered it on amazon it printed and delivered straight to them i didn't have to like hold any inventory go through mm -hmm. like um like a like a author house or anything like that right. it was super easy and i was like why not so um that was kind of what led up to that incredible
Yeah, that's that's amazing. And to do that at that age in high school and most people are surrounded by, um, you know, other types of appeals like going out and, and partying and drinking and whatnot, um, you know, that's that's amazing. That's very inspirational for other people of your age group and even older. I mean, hearing that story when you first told me of, that you wrote, you know, a book based on motivation and empowerment as a high schooler, that was very inspiring because I'm currently in the process of trying to do something similar as well. And I mean, I'm out of college now. So I think back to, you know, my high school self and I'm like, my priorities were totally different. So um, it's, it's amazing that you did that. And also props to your dad for, you know, doing amazing work as well and being willing to help you along the way. I'm sure that was really helpful to have the support too. But I know today you are at Wall Street Journal and um, you know, kind of tying back to this idea that you mentioned when you were at your fraternity, you really like to, um, you know, walk into organizations that are maybe perceived in a certain light and definitely kind of um, break that mold or that that traditional image of how they're portrayed in society. So tell us a little bit about um, how you even, you know, got into working at Wall Street Journal and um, maybe a little bit of, of the company culture and what you really enjoy about that experience. Yeah, sure. Um similar to Northeastern, similar to my fraternity, like you said, the Wall Street Journal, you think about it and you're like, oh, it's a corporate old kind of stodgy news brand, newspaper, like kind of boring, kind of dull. And you kind of think like only like old people or finance people read it. And Mm -hmm. in reality, that's really not the case. Like even though the brand's been around and the publication's been around for over a hundred years, it's innovating itself in this current climate to be more tech savvy to really connect with a new and younger audience to be more attractive to a younger demographic and a more diverse cohort of individuals, whether it be people of color, more women, um, a more diverse readership across the globe, just trying to um, become more of a modern media news publication, which it already Mm -hmm. is like we have the, the content and the website and the app and the infrastructure. But um, the, the thing that fascinates me as a, a marketer and someone who works in brand marketing is taking this legacy brand and making it seem new and exciting while also maintaining its roots. Mm-hmm. So how can you grow and continue to push the envelope while not losing all the incredible value that the brand's built up since it started, totally. um, which is always an interesting challenge because like, you, you can like go and like throw emojis and like bright colors mm-hmm. and pop music over an ad and like that can work for many brands, but that doesn't work mm-hmm. for the journal because that's not, that's not core to what we, what we do. For um, sure. So I think working there um, was like a perfect storm, really. I, I really liked how obviously like media is always evolving and I don't think there's ever been a more important time to work in media um mm-hmm. with like just the amount of scrutiny that news gets these days with yeah. um just like people questioning its validity and factuality but also like people just needing good content and good st- uh news and facts and stories to inform their decisions cuz you'll read the news and you decide where to invest your money you just you read the news mm-hmm. and you decide where to go on vacation, how to, what business to open up, um, where to move, um, when to travel. Like, there's so many things that it touches every part of your life. And right. um, when pe- now that people have inherent distrust in media, 
um, and it's growing, how can you kind of get on their good side? So that with a company and a culture that's very young and very um, development driven, I'm very lucky um, for the team that I'm on. The team is very passionate, very focused on personal growth and self-development as well as Mm -hmm. obviously corporate development and just reaching our um, development goals and project goals. So it, they're, they're looking out for you as a person. And we're, as I've noticed, like in the last few months, we've been able to have some tough conversations, even like we're, we're able to openly talk about things like black lives matter and Mm -hmm. the protests and things like that. And that's kind of the culture that you want to be a part of something that's absolutely uh, very transparent. People are willing to trust each other and talk. Um, and Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a reason why the company is doing so well is because um of the foundation of people and culture that has um and then i guess the other reason was i've like we talked about earlier like i love writing and i love Mm -hmm. stories and i grew up reading the newspaper and granted when i was younger i didn't read all the the politics and the economy stuff in the newspaper i would get at home but i would i would read it i would skim it i understood like why news was important and then I would jump to the sports and the mm-hmm. comics, but um, <laughs> I, I think there's always like been like a love there. So it's good. It's good to work for them. Yeah, totally. That's incredible to hear. And I'm, I'm glad you're really enjoying the company culture because sometimes it's difficult to find a culture that you resonate with in the corporate world. So it seems like you found, um, you know, that niche pretty early on out of college. So, you know, I'm definitely happy for you there. And it seems like there's, there's this trend where, you know, you're very intentional in the opportunities that you even choose to pursue. And sort of this pattern of, of breaking the archetypal image, you know, of a certain group or organization. So why would you say, you know, that that ability to be able to really break through the stereotypes and um, kind of overturn the, you know, image of a certain group? Why is that so important to you? Hmm, good question. I think overall, I, th- I was I grew up and the, my parents raised me and my family kind of always looked at things where you never judge a situation or a person or anything on face um, until you've like seen them and experienced it yourself. Like you can't go ahead and like they, like they say, judge a book by its cover, but how can you um, get over those preconceived notions of even before you meet someone? Um, And I think Mm -hmm. with that and that, that image that's created and that stereotype that's there, I think I've always looked for ways to kind of challenge that, like, like always be a contrarian in that sense where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, but I actually know this person who's not this way, or I know this organization that's not doing that. And I think it's, it's one really good in sparking debate and opening people's eyes. And in a more recent context, I... In, in such a partisan and like like world that's like so divided overall i think looking at archetypal kind of images of certain groups and organizations and realizing that um hey like you have these preconceived notions and they may not be correct you need to challenge them and really understand mm-hmm. why they're doing what they're doing and why they're saying what they're saying and who these people are at a, at a basic level Mm-hmm. That I think that's so important because if you just lose sight of that and stick to like, oh, I don't like them because they stand for this or I think they they want this and I don't, 
Um, mm-hmm. you, re- you really close yourself off to meeting some wonderful people, experiencing some incredible things. And that it's just a limiting behavior on your part where um, you've already kind of put that mental block in. Right. So with, with, um, with breaking these and challenging these images, I, I mean, I think it's like a thread through a lot of the things that I've done through being in a fraternity and like being in a, growing up in the Caucasian neighborhood and then going to school that was very diverse, um, work, working in marketing and media and not going a certain route that's preconceived of um, Asian Americans and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Just trying to mold yourself into the the person that you want to be and not what society wants to be. For sure. I love that. And it's, uh, I agree. I think it's very easy to take things at face value if they align with your belief systems at the moment. And you're so fixated on, um, you know, upholding those belief systems because it's very easy to have internalized subconscious fears around, um, you know, what would happen if you were to drop that belief or you were to maybe widen your mindset to include other opinions and perspectives. Oftentimes that can be very difficult for people to digest. And it is very easy to kind of um, you know, immediately, like, make those judgments or claims very early on. But I think it is about having those conversations that are a little bit deeper and that do scratch beyond the surface to really create change. So the fact that you're willing to put yourself in, you know, the situations that you have in the past with, you know, being in a fraternity or, um, you know, right now being in a company that may have a certain connotation attached to it, but being able to really break that um, break that mold or break that image, you know, again, speaks to your character and about your willingness to really, um, you know, make a change and, and spark those conversations. So I know through those experiences, you talked a little bit about how you met John and you were inspired to really create this platform of your own, which was the Youth Movement Podcast. Um, you talked about how this platform has really allowed other young leaders to kind of have a voice and share that with listeners. So tell us a little bit about what that experience was like, how that podcast has really evolved since you started and what you've learned along the way. Yeah. And I think it's very similar to what you do. Best is um, not giving young professionals an opportunity to highlight and showcase themselves because very often that opportunity is reserved for the people who have already made it. And mm-hmm. I think with, youth movement the whole idea of it is that you're you're on your way you're not there yet but you're on your way and Mm -hmm. the idea kind of came john and i after he had started he started a month after me and we were just talking one day i think over lunch and we both had like a mutual appreciation and love for podcasts and we got talking about okay there's there's something that needs to be done because there's a void right now where young professionals don't have the voice they need to amplify themselves. And Mm -hmm. also on the flip side, where are young professionals learning from? Because in examples you can read in books, listen to in podcasts, the example is someone that's not identifiable. You can't really relate to the CEO on a podcast because his life or her life is so different than yours. Totally. they, They are, they've been at this for decades probably, and they've, they've gotten to a certain point where they're not in the weeds right now. They're not experiencing the same kind of struggles and the same kind of aspirations and decision-making mm-hmm. that you're going through right now. Yeah. So with you, with the youth movement podcast, our journey um, kind of started at the beginning of this year. We have launched, I think um, 
about 10 or 12 episodes to date so far. Um, and we're very intentional in the, the content that we put out. We, when we do a recording, um, we sit on it, we reflect on it. We both listen to it a couple times, take notes in the same doc, um, cut out things, move things around, try and really tell the best story. And mm-hmm. I think that's where our jobs in marketing really come in is um, how can we be creative storytellers and get people to get the most out of an episode. Yeah. Um, so with that, um, we've had other young creators and leaders, entrepreneurs, people on the podcast to share the companies that they're working for, the projects they're building, and talk about their journey, the struggles that they've faced along the way or that they're currently facing, um, some of the helpful tips and habits that they are implementing into their own lives Mm -hmm. and what young professionals listening can take away from that, what you can really assimilate into your daily life, practical things that are more building block than things you read in the textbook. Um, And John and I talk about this and we, I think this is our favorite way to describe it is we look at these as like mini MBAs. They're like Mm -hmm. crash course episodes on topics or on people and industries that like, things that are just super in-depth and interesting and you can learn something really tangible out of them. Um, So that's where we are. And uh, for a taste of where we're going, um, we just are informally wrapping up what we're calling season one. So we're going to be taking Mm -hmm. a little bit of a pause on recording episodes for the time being reflect on kind of content we've already put out there on Spotify and Apple. Um, think of new ways to cr- take that same existing content to leverage it, um, whether it's putting segments of each episode, like powerful clips and like different themes. Maybe it's like an eight minute conversation on mindset or it's a six minute conversation on in your personal investing portfolio or whatever it is, things we've mm-hmm. had already and repurposing them on a YouTube or some other platform. And then obviously looking towards um, the next round of episodes, trying to get uh, a more diverse group of guests on the show. We've, we've already done that so far, but I think really trying to just be as diverse intentionally as possible, like touching mm-hmm. different industries, touching different backgrounds, ethnicities, and also um, we may try and introduce some video into it. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, lots of possibilities, exciting. but yeah. um, we've we've learned a lot along the way. I think the biggest kind of takeaways are one, just to be humble, because mm-hmm. um, you hear people talk, and um, when someone's successful, you can you can understand just by listening to them that they've gone to this point, and are, but are grateful for all the people that have helped them and all the things that have gone their way, mm-hmm. and also have appreciated all the hardships and the challenges they've had to overcome and a lot of them aren't easy but i think you have to embrace those in stride and kind of roll with the punches in a way where each each moment is a learning opportunity because for better or for worse um some something will come out of it in terms of oh well this kind of crashed and burned but you know what didn't work and you know um you met someone along the way or you made a connection or um, something really resonated and clicked. So I think that kind of optimistic perspective is something that 
is very, um, very contagious when you, when you go through this process. Totally. And I think what you're doing is incredible with, you know, you talked about this, the stages of being in the weeds and, and the building block phase. And it's incredible that you're offering people a platform who are currently in that stage because it's very easy to look at highlight reels and, um, you know, the day 30 pictures and sort of the end product and get very discouraged that, you know, you just quote unquote, aren't that type of person. And it's very easy to kind of, you know, self-sabotage following your own dreams or kind of picking up that dream project that you've always wanted to pursue simply because you feel like you just aren't like the people that you read about. Um, so, you know, allowing this platform to create relatability and a, a place for authenticity, you know, with people who are in our age group and who are trying to, um, you know, trailblaze or create a path of their own is, is something that's really important. I've had people reach out to me who've asked me, you know, for advice on starting their own business or their own passion projects. And they've had a lot of limiting beliefs around it. Um, and, and for me to simply be able to tell them like, hey, you'll be fine. Um, you, you can take this like step one of potentially putting out a YouTube video, you know, it doesn't really cost you any money to do that. And I kind of am very raw in telling them that I, you know, when I started my channel and still to that, to this day, actually, I don't use a professional camera or a mic of any sorts or a ring light. I don't have any fancy editing softwares. I literally use my iPhone camera and like iMovie and just kind of talk about what I want to talk about and put it up there. And obviously my channel has been slow moving, but in me being authentic with the fact that I'm, you know, very, very much in the groundworks of that endeavor is something that allows people to understand and, um, you know, kind of relate to me in a way that allows them to feel empowered to start a channel of their own or a blog of their own. And I think oftentimes yeah. people have this misconception where they think that you, you know, have to invest in like fancy editing software or invest in a website or a domain of your own or um, you know, that the people who get, who become successful are the lucky ones and they just kind of, you know, have things cut out for them, but it's so not true. And you've spoken to that Absolutely. a little bit as well. Um, you know, on your podcast and hearing stories of people who have kind of, you know, come out with those, those bigger benchmark accomplishments and sort of the hardships and challenges they had to go through. No one really has it easy. So the mm -hmm. fact that you are, you know, really giving a platform and, and showcasing, these people's voices in a stage that is very foundational is something that will just inspire so many other people who have these dreams that maybe they right now are self-sabotaging or pushing off to the back burner or just, you know, are kind of at a standstill. And so um, thank yep. you for what you're doing. I think it's incredible. And I know you talked a little bit about what's coming up next, but for our, our listeners tuning in, where can people find you? Where can they find your podcast? Yeah. So, um, so I, you can find me on Twitter, um, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. You can find me. Um, very, very common name. So um, I can give you the ats and if you want to drop those in. But um, I'm, I'm mostly accessible on Twitter at Shah, S-H-A-H underscore Parth, P-A-R-T-H underscore. Um, and that's kind of where, that's my favorite platform. So I'm always on there. I'm always looking to connect with people on LinkedIn though or Instagram. So um, reach out. Would love to meet exciting new people. And one thing that um, I actually want to touch on on your previous thing while you were talking, um, you mentioned like things you learned from people on the podcast and mm -hmm. um, the getting started. And you said you've helped um, friends and um, peers along the way of like, hey, like you can do this. Like just put something out there. Mm -hmm. And John had a really 
really good interview with um, Shireen Jaffer um, on our podcast. And one thing she said really stuck with me. And it's so true. It's She said that if you are looking to put something out there and launch something, you should be somewhat embarrassed by it when it's out there for the first time. <laughs> be- because if it's out there and it's perfect, mm-hmm. you've either waited too long um, and it's not going to resonate and you miss an opportunity or it's just um, it's it's perfect in your eyes, but still not perfect in someone else's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll open yourself up to then like unwanted kind of criticism or feedback. Sure. So I think one thing she said was um, as she was doing her own product and company was put it out there, be a little embarrassed. But once it's out mm-hmm. there, you can get feedback, but you know it you know, that embarrassing feeling of like, hey, it's out there and people can see it will drive you to get make it better. Mm-hmm. Like have it out there and people will see it and you're like, oh, damn, like, okay, now like I'm going to work tirelessly and relentlessly to iterate on that and improve my product and improve my, whatever I'm doing so that um, the next version is better and the one after that's better. And I think that also kind of ties into what I was saying earlier, of wanting to be around things that always want to get better. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and then one other thing I want to mention, and I think is super interesting because so related to that, when you think about brands, and I can geek out about this stuff all the time because <laughs> I, <laughs> I love what I work in. But when you look at a brand, I think the one one piece of strategy or way of thinking that I really like is be big enough or in your own head, uh, like act like you're big, pretend like you're this big company, even if you're not there yet, mm-hmm. but also work like you're small and like always be scrappy and trying new things and not be satisfied. Mm-hmm. So like you're, you're confident and you're, 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 you're resonating and you're giving off the energy and the vibe that you're um, swinging higher than your, your perceived level is. Yeah. But you're also, but you're also, agile enough and you're willing to um, make adjustments as a startup would and on the fly and those things will kind of go hand in hand and help you as a company as a brand as a project whatever you do Um, so I think I'll leave you with my last little brandism (laughs) is that um, my favorite quote around it is that a brand is the most valuable part of real estate in the world because it's a corner of someone's mind Um, Mm. and like how can you Love be that. in that corner and really like take up that one part? Cause there's only so many things that you can remember and you want to remember. And if people remember you for a reason, for better, or for worse, but like that's valuable real estate. And then what are you going to do with it? So try sure. to get people's attention and then keep, keep them hooked with a great product, great content, et cetera, which amazing, which, which you're doing here on rising. Thank you. And thank you for leaving us, you know, with those with those gems. I honestly think that's a great way to wrap it up. um, Thanks for taking the time just to be on rising here today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure as always. Awesome. And for everyone listening, thank you for joining back. And I will see you all in our next episode here at rising.